Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer, with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Stacey, how are you? Good morning, John. I am well. I am well. I am. I am. We are. We are dealing with a little bit of rain. Um, uh, hopefully, not as much as Florida and Alabama saw this week. Um, with, I think, it was four months worth of rain in in four hours. But we might get that. Uh, so I've got, I think, forecasted for rain between now and Friday nonstop. Um, but other than that, it's I'm doing well. Still data crunching. Still uh, working on getting things ready for the annual HR system survey launch in a few weeks. How about you? Are you able to get outside a little bit? Breathe this Finally. air a little bit right now? Yeah. Finally. It's been crazy, and we've been locked up in the house because the smoke is so bad. Uh, yeah. But we are um, they're, they're letting us out of our cages for a moment. Um, and so if you could send that rain over here, we could use the rain. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll we'll try. I'll, I'll do my best to blow it on over. I don't know if it'll listen to me, but but uh, I'll I'll do my best. So we, I it it I got a call from from my parents last night saying, "Are you safe? There's supposed to be flash floods." And I'm like, "It's a very slow moving rain, mom." So I don't think we'll get. Uh, um, if it if it gets there, it might take a couple of weeks, John. But but I'll do my best for you. So as right. express mails, I can get rain. <laughs> and. How are you at work stuff? Are you, um, I mean, we're, we're starting to head into what is the busiest season, even though we're, we're not traveling. Uh, lots of conferences and events going on. Or how's your week been this week with, with your calls and your meetings? Oh, it's been, it's been wonderful. I am, um, let's see, Sunday night I was in Singapore. Monday night I was in India. Um, and, <laughs> and I didn't have to get on a plane and I didn't have to... Um, I had to stay up a little late, but I didn't have to do anything extraordinary except walk down to the same desk space and, and talk to a different audience, and, and it was amazing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a sweet luxury to be able to um, be here and be there at the same time. And you know, one of, one of the things I'm noticing is that everybody in the world is getting competent at new communications technology simultaneously and that's going to make a big difference i just don't know how yeah yeah no it's 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 been kind of amazing to watch the investment that organizations and companies are making in these virtual events to try and make them as personable or as high quality as possible i mean me and you've been doing this podcast for over five years right so so we've you know, we've seen the ups and downs of, of, of bad microphones and, and, you know, calling from hotel rooms and all of that. And, and we know what it sort of takes to maybe get to a quality that at least is, is decent. But the levels I'm seeing people go to now are pretty amazing. I mean, I got um, – I'm speaking um, at an event um, in, uh, next week um, uh, for Degreed, and they sent me a recording set up this week that was – I just I used to be in radio and television in my undergrad days, and I hadn't seen anything since then that was this extensive. It had a video camera, and it had a microphone, and it had lighting stands, and it had you know laptops for recording high definition. I really hope that high definition isn't too close up. You know that's that's that it's always the thing about you know video cameras. You're like it's great if they're good, but boy, you don't want them to pick up everything. So we'll see. It was interesting to see how much they had invested in making sure that we had a quality session for that event. So I don't know if you're starting to see that kind of stuff as well, John. 
Well, you know, if you were to get a, uh, and maybe we'll start doing video one of these days, but if you were to get a video look at my office, it looks like a remote television studio. There are boxes and knobs and wires and blinking lights and um, <laughs> audio equipment and lights on stands shining down from on high. And these days <laughs> when you get that video, I look like a really pink guy uh, because <laughs> I haven't quite figured out how to tune the lights. Uh, yep. And so, so you learn all of this stuff about where the sound is, what's the sound like, what do you do with the sound, what's the video like, how do you utilize, there's new technology coming out inside of video, uh, they're called virtual cameras, that's pretty interesting yeah. that, I, that I'm starting to use. Um, and so, so I find that I'm ahead of the efforts like, like what you're talking about. I'm a couple of yeah. steps ahead of that. So if somebody wanted to Somebody wanted to send me a box of stuff to set up. I would raise the bill. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know. I, I'm thinking I, I'm seeing a new column in HR Examiner coming up. My digital journey, right? Like I could see like like this is the this is what I bought this week and this is what it did for me, right? On the audio side and the video side, I think people would be interested, John. There are people really trying to figure this out right now. So. <laughs> oh, oh, and, and I think I think I'm a long way there because I'm doing a lot of routine video production now, and so. Yeah. So one of the things that you have to ask when you do routine video production is how do you deliver a PowerPoint presentation as a movie without it being really dumb and boring? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Because, because so here's, here's a little pink man talking about the big white piece of paper. <laughs> you, you know, this is, this is the worst lecture you ever went to in your college days. It's the worst yeah. class you ever took in high school. And it certainly is in this place. And so, so um, one of the things that, that, that I'm noticing, in fact, is that there's the beginnings of a reaction to um, uh, uh, the intense video world because what we're seeing in the um, vendor space is that they're replacing person-to-person -person conversation in analyst meetings with video. Yeah. And, and that just doesn't work. It's one thing if you're like, I have seen some things recently from companies who don't have anything to say. And and if you don't have anything to say, the best way to say it is with a pre-recorded video. Um, <laughs> but, but if you have something interesting to say, the best way to say it is in a conversation. Um, yeah. And um, so, so you sort of see the vendor community segmenting themselves into the ones who say, well, we don't really have anything interesting to say. Watch this video. And the ones who are busy trying to um, conversation because conversation is more about discovery than broadcasting. Yeah. So, I, you know, 
and it's interesting. I think some are trying to, to split the hairs and do a little bit of both, right? Like what's the, what's the messaging and the videos, and then I'm going to get you a chance to talk to the executives. So uh, we had one of those this week, Cornerstone's uh, Analyst event. I'll, I'll share a little bit of what I got a chance to experience. I know you were you saw some of it. We actually probably saw the split size of it. I didn't get to see the videos at all, um, but logging in was a challenge. So, yeah, we're, we're seeing it across the board is that the vendors are trying to figure this out. The practitioners are trying to figure this out. We're trying to figure it out. Um, hopefully everybody is being very um, understanding with the fact that this is all a bit of a trial and error moment for the whole world, right? <laughs> sort of. Sort of. It is a good time to be understanding, but only just. <laughs> you know. Are we getting the curmudgeon coming out in you there, John? <laughs> uh, is, is it, it curmudgeonly to say, I don't want to have to work more because you're not doing your job very well. I don't know that that, <laughs> I don't know that that shifting the burden so that I end up with more to do because you're having a hard time. I don't know that that's such a good thing. Um, that's a very good way to look at it. I get that completely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, we're definitely, I think seeing it, this sort of play over into what's going on in the, in the HR tech space. It's a busy, busy week, lots of stuff going on. Um, we're starting to see money and investments come back. I think we saw a little bit of a lull in that over the last several um, months through the summer holidays, and I think after the, the sort of the first flash of investments that were still going on before the pandemic, and then sort of the the wait, um, we saw some new um, job roles. So we're seeing some of our friends sort of take on new roles in different organizations, which is worth talking about. I mentioned the Cornerstone event. Um, Oracle has been in the news a lot, so worth probably chatting a little bit about that today. But so is Career Builder. You know, they're trying to make some some news this week. We're also seeing some stuff going on with CloudPay and um, Ultimate, soon to become uh, UKG, uh, as well as Yellow uh, and three other companies that they're sort of uh, partnering with. Lots of partnerships going on this week. Um, we are also seeing a, um, a couple of things going on um, from uh, investments. We've got some small investments, but still worst probably naming can mention out in a company called Bright Hire, uh, as well as um, Zimeo, which is an HR tech startup, and a company called HR Data Hub. So busy week, John. Any of those things spark your interest right now with what's going on and all the stuff we've been talking about? Oh, why don't, why don't you pick? It's, it's such a bounty. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, in a world where Oracle is buying a consumer communications company, I think... Um, Maybe before we, we jump into that one, why don't we say a congratulations to a, a good friend of ours, Dwayne Lay, um, who um, has been in the HR talent acquisition space for a long time, um, took on a new role as um, the um, lead um, global leader and um, uh, head of customer success for the company called Jovio. Um, and so just a, a congratulations out for him. Uh, do you know Jovio very much, John? It's, it's a, a talent acquisition sort of marketing, advertising technology company, right, is, is my understanding. Um, is, is this an interesting company that we should keep an eye on, um, knowing um, we've got friends like Dwayne in there? Um, I don't know anything at all about Jovio. It's, it's new to me, but, but if, it, if it attracted Dwayne Lay's attention, there's something about it worth paying, paying close attention to because he is, I don't know, is he the best customer service guy in the HR tech industry? I think I think he might be. I think he really knows yeah. how to make customer service sing 
companies. And so when you have Dwayne on the team, um, what you're getting is a capacity to make customer relationships sticky. Dwayne really understands that business depends on happy customers and customers who don't go away. Um, and he has been getting better and better and better and better at that over the years. So this, this makes me want to go look at Jovio. There you go. Well, that uh, he's done his part of his job already. Yeah. So we'll say good luck to to, to Dwayne and 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 both of us will probably take a little bit of closer look to see what's going on over there. Um, we also got the Cornerstone update. I think we were talking a little bit about that earlier before the call. Uh, Cornerstone had an analyst day that they're sort of tacking onto some convergence stuff that they're doing internationally. Um, for those who don't sort of follow what's going on in the LMS learning and development and talent space with Cornerstone. Um, they're just sort of coming off of the in the last three months um, some major changes to the organization. They acquired Saba, which was their largest competitor, which basically uh, grew them to about 7,000 customers. Um, uh, last year, they were an organization that, that had about $577 million in you know revenue with the Saba acquisition that might jump dramatically. I think they threw out a number of $820 million. I don't know if that's if they're in line for that or not, or if that's going to be um, an aspirational number that they threw out. I didn't catch what it exactly was. Um, but they also have a new uh, CEO, Phil Founders, um, and he was talking quite a bit. Before the event, they sent us a bunch of videos to watch, and I'll be upfront, I did not get a chance to watch the video. So getting into the event was a little bit of a struggle, and the entire event that we sat through was sort of a bit of a, a flash, quick presentation by Phil and several of the, the new senior leadership team but then I had a really, um, at the end, I would say probably the, the, the most beneficial amount of time was a, a really open Q&A with the entire executive group and some of the, the product development people. And that was probably the best um, well-spent time, but it was after about three hours of listening to presentations. So um, it was a, a pretty big event. Uh, the, one of the biggest announcements was their new chief product officer, Ajay Awatramani. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. Um, he comes from Adobe most recently in their marketing space, as well as Marketo, so a really strong marketing background um, at that event. Um, and we also saw that they um, were talking a lot about content, increasing content and content strategy. Um, and so I think we're going to see a really big focus on content going forward, as well as skills and skills frameworks. But probably the most interesting thing that they shared with us was the new um, architect, architecture for their, um, how all their systems were going to work together and the decision that they had made not to replatform the Cornerstone, Saba, or TalentLink, which is part of, I think, the old Halogen product um, solutions into anything new, they were going to be creating layers on top of those um, to basically do microservices level sort of connectors um, so the customers would not have to pick up a new product or get a new replatform. So quite a bit of information that they sort of unloaded in the, in the three and a half hours that we were there. John, you got to sit through, I think, some of the videos, right? And, and you right. had some conversations with Jennifer Boren, who put this together. How does that compare to what you saw in the videos? So, so what, I, what I take away from, from what I'm seeing at Saba is that, um, you, you know, the learning and development market is – huge, but it's huge in content. It's not huge in software. Um, and, and the software that was such a great idea 20 years ago kind of doesn't work so well anymore. Yeah. And so 
So there is this technology company. They get technology multiples in their valuation that has decided that they're going after the content business. Um, And I think they really decided that two or four years ago. Um, But it it is a good recognition of what's going on in the sector, which is that Um, learning management systems have never really matured into a big consolidated standardized market and um, they don't really serve their function because they're impossible to maintain Um, and and so going after content is they're positioned well to do it but it it really starts to to offer the nagging question of are they really a technology company i may position a little bit differently I think, you know, there's no doubt that the LMS market and the talent suite market in general, right, we're seeing people planning to replace those type of things, right, um, at a much higher percentage than we're seeing on the other HR technology right now. Somewhere between the range of 30 to 35% are either evaluating or planning to replace those technologies. But I, I, I would say that it's not that they didn't work. I think what it was is that they didn't work when they weren't connected with the really important data that was going on inside of organizations. So, you know, when you couldn't connect it to the activity in your workforce management systems or your HR systems or your, or your um, uh, business continuity systems, right. Um, they just became empty shells that nobody filled. Right. And, and that was really, I think the, the challenge for, for both talent suites and LMSs. Um, they're wonderful tools if they're filled with really good information, but most of the time the information in there is, is out of date. Um, and this content play is interesting. What, one of the most um, sort, of, sort of thrown out announcements that I hadn't heard from them before is that they are creating their own content as well as sort of gathering just mounds and mounds of content from other sources. And in doing that, they are now creating um, what we call an, L, an LR, um, LXP, I think, LRP, but basically a tool that allows you to port their content into other systems. So I think that really, you know, um, harkens to what you were talking about, John. They are they're wanting to become a content organization, and does that feel a little bit like what we're seeing out of the Apples and the and the Netflixes as well? Is that is that the model you think they're following? Well, that that's certainly the one that they that they talked about initially that they wanted to be kind of a Netflix, uh, but a B two B Netflix wouldn't make any money, <laughs> and so. So, so um, right, because Netflix is a consumer business, and and the whole, the whole increased consumption by using recommendations approach that Netflix brings to the market doesn't really work when you, when when you have people who are HR customers, and um, HR is so different from company to company. Um, it's hard. It's hard to find consistency in in HR content um, because things are different in every context. Uh, you know, this yeah. is a, a thing we talk about a lot. And so you can't standardize on consumption in the way you can in a marketplace where you have tens of millions of consumers who can be. Per- turned into personas. You just will never have that level of consumption in one of these systems. And so so you can't have the big data consequence in those things. Um, so so but but content sales 
is the largest part of the of the learning and development industry. Ninety five percent of ninety five percent of the revenue in learning and development is courseware, um, and um, it's it's reasonable to go after that. I mean, that's a great big target, even if it's shrinking rapidly. It's still a monstrous marketplace to go after. So yeah, I would I would agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, if they could crack that nut of how you customize or tailor in a more automated fashion, I didn't hear them talk about any of that, but I think that's really the silver bullet on the content stage. I think it's the piece that Skillsoft couldn't get to, a lot of organizations can't get to, and it's exactly what you're talking about. You need to tailor the content on that business level, and it's really hard to do if you have to do it all by hand, right? That's right. So, so let me, let me, you said something that caught my attention. Are you seeing learning and development tools that tie to metrics inside of the rest of the HRS. I don't think I've seen that anywhere. No, not, I mean, not, not as standalones right now. We, we are definitely seeing that kind of, I think, things show up when they are somehow connected to their core HR, right? So this is part of what we're starting to see with some of the workday stuff, definitely some of what I saw with what SAP and SuccessFactors were doing with their learning platforms, right? It takes that concerted effort. It takes an integration sort of conversation, right, to have it. Um, and I do see that we that we see some organizations who who take this um, uh, one that you and I both have looked at, you know, Exonify, right? You know, a great but small product that that tied to sales sort of outcomes and those kind of things. So you see sometimes the content and small delivery tools, but LMSs as they stand, even the experience, the, the degrees, the LLXPs, um, as they're calling the learning experience platforms now, even those are not, I think, as of yet, figuring out how to connect that connection with the business side. Um, and I think that is probably the biggest gap right now. So, no, I wouldn't say I'm seeing it in any large um, swath across the learning space, I, but that's what's needed, right? Yeah, well, you, you know, I can't believe I hadn't thought of this before. It's it's so obvious, but but what you just said is they don't connect to the business side, and what that means is, what that means said another way is the LSs have nothing to do with the business. Um, <laughs> I think I think that may be close to the truth, and why the market has sort of stalled uh, because how what you're trained in. Inside of a company, what you're trained in only matters if it has some impact on um, effectiveness in the marketplace, right? And that can be more sales, it can be better margin, it can be higher quality products. There are all sorts of ways, but the only reason you would ever train somebody is to solve those sorts of problems. And so the fact that, that at this point in time, training systems don't, have direct feedback loops to business performance. That's almost bizarre. Yeah. And it depends bizarre. on how you count it. I mean, I mean, they would say that it's performance management metrics. Again, that depends on if those are being pulled from a business conversation, right? Every instructional designer is trained on the fact that you should be tying outcomes and your objectives to business. Um, they all know that you need business metrics to make a, a business case for learning. I don't think this is for a lack of trying in the industry. I think this has been a little bit of a the limitations of the technology, to be honest. And, and we're getting to a point where hopefully those limitations can be broken down. 
but it might be a little late for some of those systems that were, were built early on, right? So, so let me ask you this. Let me, let me ask you this. Is, is it possible for a learning and development professional connections without technology? Yes. Does the learning yeah, and they do it all the time. Does the learning department, yeah. they do it all the time. So there's they something the that, yeah. that the client does all the time that the software doesn't do. How much of that do you think there is? Did you look at that in the study? We don't look at that well a little bit. We 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 look at it from the sense of your biz your your BI and analytics tools. What are they what are they actually achieving from an outcome perspective and what integrations do you have in your system? Um so we can look at that across that. It is really hard to do in any one platform. Most of the time we see it in some sort of a aggregated BI platform, which again is generally something that's available to a larger company, right? Um so what most learning professionals oftentimes do is more of a one-off. You know, they do it through surveys. They do it through, um, you know, uh, interviews and business metrics that they then sort of put together in Excel spreadsheets with the data they get from their learning sources, right? Um, those are the kind of things that we see that it, it is how it's done today. If you had um, tool sets that, that make those connections or do those integrations, um, and I do think that, that the vendors are working towards that, it's just that it doesn't happen as regularly as it should, right? Yeah, that's 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 really crazy. That 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 is a bad thing. What you just described there is a bad thing in need of fixing. I think many would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I think some of what you're seeing in the news this week. I mean, um, if we look at where the investments are taking place right now, those organizations we saw. One organization that is um, uh, focusing on uh, metrics, right, uh, called HR Data Hub, which is raising $1 million in seed funding from the UK, um, being funded by um, some friends that we all know, Chris Bruce and Michael White of, uh, online, of Thompson's Online Benefits back in the day. And um, it, it's a small company right now, just 250 companies, but I think they're looking at trying to get met benchmarking metrics that maybe get to some of that, which is, can I assess? if my learning matches up with your learning, but I still don't think that gets to the context, which is what we're talking about and the business metrics within your own company, right? Um, we are also seeing investments in, in more HRMS type organizations. Again, I think that's where we're seeing sort of the, in, the if people are talking about where they're gonna increase spending, HR and payroll seem to be the numbers right now. Um, and we're definitely seeing investments in more of the AI stuff that we were talking about and the skills frameworks, that kind of stuff that might be auto um, updated. But I, I don't know if that'll get there yet. So. It'll be interesting. It's going to be interesting. So one last one in all of this. You want, you want to give two minutes to TikTok? <laughs> we want to give, I don't know if I want to give two minutes to TikTok. So, um, okay, let's yeah, talk. Let's talk. Everybody's talking about it. All we can say is that they're not getting the algorithm. They're just getting the data. I'm not quite sure what to say about that, but data is valuable in and of itself. So we'll see where that goes, right? <laughs> That's the, the big thing there because that means they still have access to it. But what about this career builder? This is a pretty big announcement to say that they're doing $300 million in investment um, over the next three years in talent acquisition. Is that is that newsworthy for career builder? Are they in need of new uh, investment in this space? Well, so I think this means we're going to spend money to overhaul our software. I think that, isn't that what that means? 
because uh, they're certainly not you know, they're not spending three hundred million dollars to actually go out and research the market of the product. That would be actual research and development. So this is this is we're going to spend more money on software. We're going to spend more money on developing our software. Um, and and so what does that mean? That means that career builder is getting serious about becoming a technology company. They've always sort of wanted to be a technology company, but couldn't shake loose of their newspaper roots. Um, and so maybe this is a sort of a public commitment. It also might be, right, that they were purchased by private equity sometime back, and um, it may be that the private equity is finally figuring out that um, uh, you really need to spend. The question is, how much were they spending already? Right. That doesn't. The, the this this doesn't tell you anything because if they were spending two hundred and eighty million dollars, this is a so what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I I thought it was a little bit of a of a, of a an interesting one. We don't usually see organizations make big announcements about new investments in R and D. It usually is along with something else. This is is an update that they are, have added a couple of of key sort of um, functionality inside of their system. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Crippler is not a, a standalone ATS right now, correct? As far as I own a company in France that's an ATS company. And I think I think that's talent soft, but I might be wrong about that. Okay. Um, that was my question was does, is this mean that they're gonna they're gonna compete head on with, with like an iSIMS or something, right? Yeah, and and my guess is that in some markets they will. I don't, I don't know, you know, that the, when you look at the overall HR marketplace, it's vast. It's, there's probably a million and a half entities. Assume, you know, if you just add the um, ADP and paychecks customer accounts, you get to a million three. Um, and you know, nobody uses both of those. Um, so you get to a million three people who pay to have payroll done. Um, and there are all sorts of things in that million three businesses, right? From big giant companies that have complicated stuff like you look at all the time to, to everybody else in the whole wide world who has a couple of cloud-based services that they use that are, are loosely held together. And so down in that market, which is where the majority of the clients are, which is where the majority of the recruitment advertising revenue is. You can be a software provider and have fairly limited functionality. Um, and, and a lot of people, it's a very big, compared to other business-to-business markets, it's a very big market. Um, and... Um, I think that's what they're doing, right? So I'm not sure I'd ever see them compete with ISIMS. They may want to, but but the real money yeah. for them is going to be in in small dealing with yeah. people like Workham. Okay. Well, there we go. I will make one comment before we log out for today. They did make a, a, a quote inside of their um, a press announcement saying 74% of companies foresee spend for HR technology increasing over the next 12 to 24 months. I have to put a little bit of a pin in that and say, 
I can promise you based on what we're seeing in our data, that's not the case. 74% of companies are not increasing HR technology spend. So hold that thought for a moment. We'll get you the actual data points coming out here in the next few weeks. Um, but it's definitely not going to be that high. Um, I'm not sure where they got that data from or, or what it's quoting. It might have been some last year data, but um, oh, let, let the me, space let, is not let, increasing. Let, let, me, let, me just, <laughs> let me just catch you there for a second. I bet, I bet the total HR technology spending is going up, but it's for health and safety stuff that would never show up in, in, in the environment that we work in. Right? So HR technology that sanitizes people or um, prevents bugs from running around the office or, or automatically cleans the toilets. All that stuff is HR technology now. Um, and um, if that's HR technology, then the market's exploding. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that, my John. I'll let, I'll let you stretch there. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This but is this was this was Curbudgeon Thursday. <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> me and you were swapping sides on that one. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. next week we'll have even more stuff to update on. I think there's a couple other events that we're going to be going to, and we'll maybe catch up on some of the stuff we didn't get to talk about today. But a good conversation as usual, John. Yeah. Thanks so much, Stacy. It's been great today. Thanks everybody for tuning in and listening. This has been Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. See you back here next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.